Sophia, you want to come up for a few minutes? I'm sorry, Jerry. I just don't think this is going to work. Really? I thought... I know. I'm sorry. Gee, I just didn't expect it from the way you've been acting. Are you sure you want to talk about this? Because I sure don't. Of course I want to talk about it. Okay. I guess things changed for me on Tuesday night. Tuesday night? What happened Tuesday night? I saw your act. <laughs> My act? Well, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, to be honest, it just didn't make it for me. It's just so much fluff. <laughs> I can't believe this. So, so what are you saying? You didn't like my act? So that's it? I can't be with someone if I don't respect what they do. You're a cashier! <laughs> Jerry, it just it wasn't my kind of humor. You, you can't go by the audience that night. It was late. They were terrible. I heard the material. I, I have other stuff. You should come see me on the weekend. But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just made depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas' idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Give Us a Second. A mini-sode series. Brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 58th edition of Give Us a Second, and we are discussing our favorite episodes of Seinfeld Volume 6. That's right. People always <laughs> Basically, love this. we've run out of Give Us a Second ideas, and we're just going to keep doing this. Plus, we just like to talk about Seinfeld, like to watch Seinfeld. I feel like in a post-pandemic world, every interaction is more like an episode of Seinfeld than ever. Even before this, yeah, I'm taking you to get your glasses. They don't have both pairs ready. Well, this is after one of them had already arrived and had to be <laughs> sent back because it was wrong. And then the other one hadn't even arrived yet. I'm like, is that one going to be wrong? And they're like, yeah. And so that one had... <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, yes. We're going to try to hold off on Say by the Bell returning to that world... Until it's back free streaming, maybe. We'll give it a few more months and see if it pops up anywhere. Because it's kind of weird to fixate on that if our listeners can't easily access the episodes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, as always, Seinfeld is still streaming for free on Netflix. Praise. We're going to do five more episodes as we did last time. We've decided six is a little bit too many. <laughs> well, we like to go deep. Yeah. Before we dive in, I'd just like to say R.I.P. Peter Crombie, oh. who played Crazy Joe Davola on the show. He just passed away at the age of 71. Hmm. Seems like every other week someone from Seinfeld is dying now. Yeah. We're just at that stage where a lot of years have gone by. I know. More shit that we watch now, even doing like Love Actually recently and like Alan Rickman. Yeah. I guess it's because we're getting older, but... <laughs> it's becoming more normal <laughs> to watch something. Yeah, and I would say that 
there was definitely a, a period of time where I always felt like Seinfeld would feel current. And in a way, because I was young when it was airing and I watched it in real time, it still does. But you start to notice how dated it is now, mm-hmm. more so than ever before. I don't know. It just sucks. You get old. Now when I watch Cheers, that seems like a completely different world. Oh, yeah. And Seinfeld's getting there. Whereas Friends still kind of feels modern in a way. Sure. But it's getting less so all the time. Let's dive in. We got five to get through. Mm-hmm. We'll run through all the housekeeping items at the end to save everyone the headache. That's since good. it's just a mini-sode. Sure. First up this week... The Ex-Girlfriend, Season 2, Episode 1, originally airing January 23rd, 1991. The episode was postponed one week due to news coverage of the beginning of the first Gulf War with Iraq. Wow. Written by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, directed by Tom Sharon, guest starring Tracy Collis as Marlene. Mm Mm-hmm. Jerry. (laughs) I don't know sometimes. Uh Uh-huh. One of my favorite quotes of the show. This was the sixth overall episode of Seinfeld. After George breaks up with his girlfriend, Jerry decides that he wants to date her. You hit on it before the show, but it was noticeable to me watching this one how different the vibe is. I mean, it still feels like Seinfeld, but it's a noticeably more gritty world than as you move forward. A little bit more grounded in realism Yeah, yeah. for the first five or so seasons, and then they start slowly drifting and then by the last couple when larry david had left the show it's a completely different world we're only really doing one of those episodes Mm -hmm. in this batch the episode was written by series creators larry david and jerry seinfeld david based the story on a personal experience of his when he gave a ride home to a woman who had recently dated a friend of his he would frequently come up with the idea for an episode and make it into a teleplay with seinfeld's help In a 1991 interview with the Los Angeles Times, Seinfeld stated most of the stories are from David's life. He just has a tremendous wellspring of ideas. I mean, he just fills notebooks with ideas, and I try to help him, but Larry is really the designer of the show. The episode opens with George telling Jerry about his relationship with the as-of-yet-unseen Marlene and how he wants to break up with her. Look, Jason Alexander seems like an okay guy, but this <laughs> Not is a so looker. absurd. Yeah. We talk about this literally every time we get into it with Seinfeld, but my God. Well, there's several of these episodes in the run that we're about to do today where it's just insane that George isn't like giving up everything in his life to just be with one of these women. Yeah, and then when you actually do see Marlene, it's the least believable thing you could imagine. <laughs> I know. At the start of this episode, George tells Jerry he had no choice but to tell his girlfriend that he loves her. But much later, in the 22nd episode of season six, The Face Painter, in 1995, he claims he's only ever said that to a dog, if you remember. Yeah. They I think didn't it's really part care of the about fun. The continuity. Yeah, yeah, I think it's part of the fun, though, because I think almost all of the episodes we've done today right have a little inconsistency that pops up somewhere and it almost seems as if sometimes it's on purpose i think that was more normal too just with tv shows back oh yeah they didn't period, give yeah. a shit about right world building and lore and all that yeah right stupid shit it was what's funny that was how sitcoms worked 
Exactly. And yes, you wanted to have well-established characters, and you didn't want people to act too out of character, and that's where you have good writers and good performers who mm-hmm. know the characters. This idea of having to connect every detail. Every single yeah. detail. Sometimes... It wasn't a thing, then. In the early days, they'll mention siblings that are never mentioned right. again, or the exact opposite will then be claimed later from something that is said earlier. It happens all the time, but there are specific examples... And we'll get to one later with Elaine in a different episode that we're going to cover where I think they're doing it on purpose. Uh, yeah, that Where it's be. something that was brought up earlier in their life and then because of that experience, they then do the opposite later or something. Well, and it fits with as the show goes on, the further into the surreal it drifts. So his reasons for breaking up with her are what exactly? That she is annoying and she just talks too well, he, much? Yeah, he just keeps saying she's annoying. Which, other than I guess it's the voice. Well, I think she calls up and just starts talking and the yeah. stories go on and on and on. I kind of get it. <laughs> <laughs> this was reminding me of you a little bit. Me with my stories going on and on. No, and on. no. Like if you're like talking to some girl and they start telling you about their lives and what they're doing and you're just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Man, I don't even want to tell you <laughs> how close to home this was hitting. <laughs> She can't kill me, right? No, of course not. People break up all the time. Every day. It just didn't work out. What can I do? I wanted to love her. I tried to love her. I couldn't. You tried. I'd be looking at her face and go, come on, love her. Love her. Did you tell her you loved her? No, I had no choice. She squeezed it out of me. She'd tell me she loved me. All right, so at first I'd just look at her. I'd go, oh, really? Or, uh, boy, that's... That's something, but eventually you have to come back with, well, I love you. You can only hold out for so long. You're a human being. I didn't even ask her out. She asked me out first. She called me up. What was I supposed to do, say no? (laughs) I can't do that. You're too nice a guy. I am. I'm a nice guy. And then she seduced me. We're in my apartment. I'm sitting on the couch. She's on the chair. I get up to go to the bathroom. I come back. She's on the couch. What am I supposed to do? Not do anything? I couldn't do that. I would have insulted her. You're flesh and blood. I had nothing to do with any of this. I met all her friends. I didn't want to meet them. I kept trying to avoid it. I knew it would only get me in deeper. But they were everywhere. They kept popping up all over the place. This is Nancy. This is Susan. This is Amy. This is my cousin. This is my brother. This is my father. It's like I'm in quicksand here. And so George manages to break up with Marlene. He's so proud of himself. <laughs> describing it as a prison break, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Yeah. And he's going through. The- First, she was when- crying and then cursing. <laughs> she wanted to be with George that much. When he does the little bit about getting the spotlight on him, yeah. and he like <laughs> does the thing where he's like up against the wall. <laughs> that was making me laugh. This episode, by the way, contains the earliest reference to Joe. The grocer who would appear in the mango three seasons later. Here, Kramer says that he takes back subpar fruit. Ironically, in the mango, he would sternly refuse to discuss returns of his merchandise. See, that's an example where I think it is on purpose because Kramer is oblivious to the fact that he's doing something that the grocer doesn't actually want him to do. Right. And the guy has been polite for years and then finally hits a breaking point because Kramer is just oblivious. And to me, that makes sense. That's not really an inconsistency. That's Joe has had enough in three years of Kramer. (laughs) This is a little bit of a Kramer light episode, I would say. 
Yeah. And you would definitely get that a little bit more with one of the four or sometimes two of the four in those early episodes. Yeah. George is not in an episode from season three where they go down to Florida, for example. That was stuff that happened early on that they steered away from as it got in deeper into the show where they would have more intertwined storylines that would all connect for sure now neatly it wasn't strange for in i think there's even some of them in this group of episodes it's not that uncommon for one of them to be involved in a storyline that doesn't really seem as fun or interesting yeah because sometimes they would have not only an a and a b but sometimes a c as well occasionally the C story would be pretty mm-hmm. thin and there wouldn't be a lot there. And a lot of times that would be Kramer's story. Yeah. Sometimes it would be great. And if they could figure out a way to work it into the others, then it would be perfect. But a lot of times it just was its own thing. Right. But that fit his whole oddball nature. After an emotional split, George realizes he has left some books in Marlene's apartment <laughs> Jerry tries to convince George that he does not need the books as he has already read them, but George nevertheless persuades Jerry to go get them for him. This was also reminding me of you and me and you. <laughs> I'm not going to go into specifics. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people <laughs> relate to that <laughs> element of it. Having to like broker some be some middle Although man. the thing I that you're her. referring to had actual value. These yeah. books, I don't really know... <laughs> Why he needs these books, especially since I'm going to read what they are in a second. Right. Jerry meets with Marlene so he can retrieve the books. She tells him that she and Jerry can still be friends despite her recent breakup, which doesn't make any sense. How many times Mm -hmm. has he met Marlene? They're going to be friends now? Right. What? (laughs) The books in question, do I have to give up me to be loved by you? (laughs) Book two. Staying well with the gentle art of verbal self-defense. <laughs> so these are basically self-help. self-help relationship type books. Yeah. The third one, this I didn't is... see the full title. It says, I'm okay, dash, dash, you're okay. Straight out of my library. <laughs> these are books he needed to go get. <laughs> so this is our first look at Marlene, who is beyond stunning. She is a long-winded, sultry, southern belle type. I was getting a little bit of a, a Gina Gershon thing. Oh, yeah. Kind of. Very sexy, which they comment on. They For sure. fully oh, admit that. Right. <laughs> but they also act like it's not a big deal, even though they're the most superficial people <laughs> yeah. you could ever imagine. Now, if this was a modern 2024 sitcom and they weren't fixated on her looks, I would say, yeah, that's how people act now appropriately not like animals right right but this is seinfeld these are terrible sociopaths of course who are completely superficial the fact that they're acting like there needs to be more than just her looks is actually kind of admirable in a weird way that they're not just like who gives a shit if she's annoying yeah it is against their characters a little bit now granted they are assholes and but they're (laughs) everything else they're just like impossible to be pleased (laughs) basically yeah (laughs) Among the actresses who auditioned for the part of Marlene were Amy Yazbek, Jerry Ryan, who would go on to star in Star Trek Voyager, and Heidi Swedberg. Swedberg was later cast as Susan Ross for Seinfeld's fourth season. How about that? A big character. Tracy Collis, who at the time was known for her appearance in the soap opera All My Children, was eventually cast for the part. Of course, she would then 
later reappear in the season six episode, The Soup, in which she portrayed a waitress named Kelly. Okay. Which I always found to be very weird, only because when Seinfeld reuses actors, they're in completely different parts. Mm -hmm. But she's playing a waitress that George asks out on a date, and then they go on that walk. Right. And then she casually mentions she has a boyfriend. Now, she has a completely different hairstyle, and she's not doing the southern accent, which is fake. Mm Mm-hmm. But it always threw me because I noticed it even as a kid. I was like, that's the same. I've seen her in a different episode. Wow. I don't know. A little bit too similar. Yeah. The scene where Jerry is complaining to George about Marlene at the chiropractor's office is very bizarre to me. First of all, it seems inevitable what's going to happen, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But Jerry's been hanging out with her a lot. I know. I think he says they've been to lunch three times in a movie. In how long of a stretch? I know. This is crazy. They seem like dates. Yeah. But obviously it's because she's attractive, right? Right. There's really no other reason Jerry would... Why would he entertain this for a second unless they were trying to pretend as if Jerry's character wasn't going to be as terrible early on in the show? It's definitely the attractive factor. (laughs) George... This isn't a big part of the episode, but George just refusing to accept that a chiropractor is a real doctor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) doctor (laughs) well even like the whole thing about him refusing to pay his bill i pay what i say (laughs) 75 dollars what do i see in sinatra in there (laughs) i appreciate the choice to only show the aftermath of marlene and jerry's first kiss there's no audience sound at all which was the first time they attempted that on this show wasn't something they did often but they would drop it out it had that weird reality switch where it kind of felt more like a different show yeah where all of a sudden you could tell there was no studio audience sound or noise or anything like that and it gave it almost this weird gravitas like oh this is a little more serious (laughs) (laughs) well jerry's crossing some lines here yeah although i kind of related to george too where it was just like i don't care who cares now Jerry and Marlene start dating, though Jerry finds her just as annoying as George did and fears that George will be enraged when he finds out they're dating. Jerry says that she has a psychosexual hold on him. (laughs) Meanwhile, Elaine is upset that a man she was once friendly acquaintances with now no longer even gives her a nod of acknowledgement when she sees him. She eventually builds up the courage to aggressively confront him about this. I feel like this was a recurring thing early on in the show, too, where they would have a character do something a little wild, and then the joy of it would be them then telling the story, Mm -hmm. which again factors into an episode that's coming up later involving Kramer and a pinky toe, right? where they were going to film the real thing, and then they have the character telling it, and that was entertaining enough to not actually have to film what he's saying. That's true. And this is the same thing where you have Elaine acting it out like, you little phony. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's great. That's funny just her saying that. Yeah. She's the queen of confrontation. That's right. They definitely trafficked in these fantasies that were entrenched in the mundane, relatable reality. That's something you would sit at your cubicle and fantasize about doing, about somebody. You'd be like, you know what? I've talked to this person several times. Now we're going to pretend like we don't know each other. That's weird. And you would think about it, but then in real life, neither of you do anything, and then you fade away, and you don't talk to each other anymore. (laughs) But then Seinfeld is, 
a show that comes along that gives you the opportunity to wonder what would happen if you did make a big deal yeah. about it, if you did point this out. <laughs> the episodes today would be going through your list of followers on social media and like figuring out people that you knew followed you at one time and now they don't. <laughs> and you're trying to figure oh, out yeah. what the moment was. <laughs> I do think that a lot of the modern Seinfeld stuff on Twitter outside of Seinfeld 2000, which was sort of parodying yeah. all of that, it got to be a little lame, sure. but yeah, I do think that there could have been some gold with social media and Facebook and that oh, kind yeah. of stuff with these characters. Inspired by Elaine's bold example, Jerry decides to tell George about Marlene. Surprisingly, or as I thought, perhaps not surprisingly, considering it's George, he insists <laughs> yeah. that he has no problem with Jerry <laughs> dating his ex. And He's I was thinking, proud of himself. It does fit more in George's character. Now- you could say that under certain circumstances, like that backwards episode, mm-hmm. the betrayal, right? When there's a situation where Jerry had sex with that girl that George is going to date, that was Jerry's friend. Remember mm-hmm. this, right? And George takes that completely differently than this situation. That also makes sense under the right circumstances because that's somebody that George was still pursuing and it had depends on the girl. With yeah. yeah, this is a situation where. George is so superficial that he's basically throwing her in the trash. Well, and he was so proud of himself for getting out of it and sticking to his guns. Yeah. However, it's all for naught. (laughs) As is so often the case on Seinfeld, it's all truly for naught. The next night, when Jerry asked Marlene to come up to his apartment, she breaks up with him instead. She did not find Jerry's stand-up funny and tells him she couldn't be with someone if she didn't respect their work. This is one of the all-time best Seinfeld quotes moments, in my opinion. Okay. When he says, but you're a cashier. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's so unbelievable. It just didn't cut it for me. It was just so much fluff. (laughs) (laughs) Is there any allusion to a conversation about her going to see his act? Because she just is like, I saw your act the other night. So she just go on her own? I guess, yeah. It's kind of creepy. Well, maybe she was going to surprise him and say, hey, I'm here. But then she was like, oh, this stinks. Decided to slink out out of embarrassment. I also love when George thinks that he swallows a fly and (laughs) Jerry won't even acknowledge it, just like turns away. (laughs) I'm a big fan of the show, obviously, Mm -hmm. as are you. But I have to agree with Marlene. I do think that Jerry's stand up in this era especially the clips we see on the show are never funny. Yeah. I've never thought that anything in terms of those stand-up clips we see on Seinfeld are funny. Rarely. Yeah. And I've seen his stand-up specials before. It's not really for me. I don't I never really thought Seinfeld was that funny of a stand-up. I understand why every stand-up worships him though, because in terms of joke construction, I get it. Like I can appreciate uh-huh. what he's doing, but most of it never really felt that funny to me. I don't know. No. I'm not a big stand-up guy in general, and I don't think you are either. So No, not really. Which brings us to episode two from this slate, The Red Dot, season three, episode 12, originally airing December 11th, 1991, written by Larry David and directed by Tom Sharon, guest starring David Naughton as Dick who we know from An American Werewolf in London, and... I don't know. Hot Dog the Movie. Oh. Come on, Matt. Yeah, I should have had that one. Bridget Sienna as... Is she Evie or Evie? Mm. 
the cleaning woman. I don't know. I think it's Evie. Okay. And Richard Fancy as Mr. Breckman, mm-hmm. not yet Lippman. He will later <laughs> become right. Lippman. I think it's fine. It, yeah, they sure. don't really say his name a lot. Whatever. That's another one of those things that they didn't really give a shit about. They eventually just morph him into a different character. Right. Elaine gets George a job at her office, which leads to several problems thanks to him being cheap and having <laughs> no impulse control. Elaine's boyfriend is also a recovering alcoholic. Now, the being cheap thing, I don't really know how you can be that critical of George for that. He's often unemployed. <laughs> yeah, look, it is a weird situation because it is a gift, and I guess this is maybe a, a topic that we can get into about how to handle this, but I think the idea would be that he doesn't need to spend the original right. price, of $600, but maybe not spend yeah, yeah. $80 on something damaged trying to pass it off as if it's something better. Because it is about the gesture. Yeah. So yeah. The, if the gesture is trying to deceive, I guess it's how you interpret what George does in the episode. Right. In that situation, if you're going to buy someone a damaged item, which you should probably just not do. <laughs> but if you were, I think you need to tell them as they're opening it. Yeah. Like You can't try to pass it off as if you didn't do that. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't work out for him. This is one of the few episodes, speaking of Jerry's stand-up, where they work those interludes into the plot. Mm-hmm. We actually do two of those in this episode. I know. That stood out to me, but that always seems to be the case when we do these. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's like weird a running, theme. Yeah. I also thought that George's cheapness destroys friendships, careers, and lives <laughs> in this episode, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Jerry and George open the show with a little bit of a Statue of Liberty debate. Do you know which of them is correct? No, I don't. I did assume that it came over fully constructed, but... No, it did come over in pieces. (laughs) Piece by piece? Yes. (laughs) Some assembly required? I think the ocean can be pretty rough. Yeah, Trying to bring a statue that big over in one piece, I think would be a disaster. We open with Elaine's office Christmas party, Jerry and George, typical immaturity, fighting, bickering, arguing, (laughs) talking about the dumbest stuff ever. Yeah. They weren't coming to go to this holiday party, right? Jerry's just trying to return something to Elaine. They're saying that her watch must have fallen right, off or something yeah. on his couch or a bracelet or something. They just needed an excuse as to why they would be there. But that is one of the fun things about this show is just how much time these people have to do the most mundane things. Well, yeah, they're very connected to each other's lives yeah. in a way that actually is sweet if you would think of it that way. Like how often they, they're meeting for lunch and coffee... They are a weird family. Yeah. An unconventional, fucked up, (laughs) dysfunctional family. They meet Dick, and Dick is weird with Jerry, which I think that they would work that into the first few seasons where Jerry and Elaine had dated, Mm -hmm. and they weren't shy to incorporate weirdness if it made sense. But then later, they act... As if that would never happen because the characters are much less realistic. Right. But I think that if you started up with a new woman yeah, and you told her, hey, I used to date this other woman, oh, yeah. Elaine, but we're now best friends and I hang out with her constantly. There would be The some first weirdness. time that this yeah. new woman met Elaine, they would say, oh, is this the gal or whatever, right, especially if yeah. they were like had a chip on their shoulder. Because I don't think that we're supposed to take it that Dick is... A great guy. I don't think so. Because he's kind of being weird even before he starts drinking. Yeah. He's just like seething as soon as he <laughs> feels the presence of Jerry. 
Elaine gets George a job at Pendant Publishing. George is introduced to Breckman slash Lipman. Now <laughs> telling about Mike Lupica. Which one episode after George just needing to get his books back, he can't think of a single author. <laughs> well, these aren't in the ep- these aren't in the order that we're doing them on the show. No, I know. It does seem that for as often as they portray George to be an idiot, that he does read. Yeah. Although there is the episode later where he can't read because it's his voice in his head. So there's a lot of inconsistencies Uh, going on. Elaine, though, is George on the list of people that you want to recommend for a job? It's hard to say because sometimes they do act like they're real friends with each other. And then other times you would think that Elaine would know better. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. Although she does set him up with one of her friends. It's the way that this show is, though. Yeah. It, it's, it speaks to what we were talking about earlier. They did whatever they needed to do in service of the story or the jokes mm-hmm. without sacrificing the characters too much. Right. Now, you could say that there are inconsistencies sometimes, but I don't think they've ever betrayed the characters to the point where you can't watch it. Totally. There's just little things where you question it a little bit from time to time. Mm-hmm. But at the same party... There is a watching drinks mishap, and Jerry inadvertently reintroduces Dick, a recovering alcoholic, to liquor, causing him to fall off the wagon. George elects to buy Elaine a gift for helping with the job, but cannot resist a highly marked down white (laughs) cashmere sweater with a minor flaw, a small red dot. Which I do like that that would be out on the floor still. I know. Yeah, what is this, Gabriel's? Yeah, really. (laughs) They just have damaged products out there. There wasn't really a red dot on the sweater in the episode. It was a small red thread positioned on the bottom left side of the sweater. I found that interesting that there was anything at all. I just assumed there was nothing. Same here. Because they do stuff like that in a bunch of the episodes, pretend something there that's not basic prop humor. (laughs) Prop (laughs) humor. Yeah. Basic prop humor. You know. Elaine is concerned that Dick has started drinking again, so then they do a smell test with the bottle of Hennigan's in Jerry's apartment where they have Kramer take a shot and then smell him to see if they can tell he's been drinking. Right. The smell test. In this episode, Jerry has that open bottle of liquor that he says has been under his sink for two years, but a few episodes prior he claimed he didn't have any alcohol in the apartment. (laughs) When Elaine first opens her gift from George, she is overjoyed but Kramer spots the red dot right away and points it out to Elaine before passing out <laughs> drunk. Much to the chagrin of George. George can never play it cool either. He has yeah. to be so obvious. Well, you don't want to put it away. You don't want to put it on now. You're going to get it dirty. <laughs> Doesn't want her to look at it. It is crazy, though, because honestly, if somebody got me a job now, and I was going to get them a gift. If I bought them an $80 sweater, I would say that's more than enough. Oh, I know. And he spent $80, but it was marked down from 600 or something right. like that. Which is a significant bargain. Well, what do you think? Do you think that George is being unreasonable or Elaine is being unreasonable? Should she just be grateful that somebody bought her a gift, thankful and appreciative? This is just business you should not get into. A thank you is fine. Because I feel like at a certain point, buying a gift for your friend... (laughs) I don't know. It seems sort of weird that this would even be a gift-giving situation. 
I think anything can be a gift-giving situation as a sign of gratitude. It's just a nice gesture. If George would have just bought her something that was normal, mm-hmm. I think it's fine. I don't know that Elaine would necessarily be expecting a gift. I don't know. I'm sure they could do an episode of Seinfeld <laughs> about guess, that ex- um, expectation this, of a gift. This kind of pre-exists the, the world of uh, gift cards, but... I feel like a gift card, maybe a more appropriate, uh, a cashmere sweater. That seems like a, a wild swing. <laughs> he wanted to swing for the fence. Yeah. And it blew up in his face. <laughs> like so many things do. Back in the day, they were called gift certificates. Oh, true. And they yeah. would be a piece of paper. That's basically. right. I don't yeah. know how that ever worked. I forgot about that. Wow. <laughs> they would literally write a number on it and be like, this is how much you've left. <laughs> and you'd be putting stuff on layaway. <laughs> I think people probably still put stuff on layaway. Okay. Well, now they have Klarna and Afterpay and True PayPal Pay and Four. I mean, I've abused all of those <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> Once Elaine finds the red dot as well, Jerry avoids answering direct questions about it, which should also be a pretty dead giveaway. That's totally me, too. I, I hate being put in these positions. Once he starts doing that, Elaine knows what she has to do when she pulls that trick where she tells George that Jerry did say that it was damaged, and <laughs> immediately George immediately reacts. <laughs> you stupid idiot, she tricked you. <laughs> so she returns the sweater to George. George is making up all kinds of excuses, saying he had a 103 degree temperature. <laughs> he was delirious. I have nothing. I have nothing. <laughs> which is true, which I guess would be why she probably would be appreciative of a nice token, an $80 gift, yeah, but not anything with the built-in deception. Now, at some point, and this is like what really had me thinking about the financial situation of it all in George's employment history, he says that he spent all of his savings. (laughs) $80. (laughs) Which wouldn't be a surprise, because you are wondering, how is this person living in the world? Same for Kramer. Kramer's finances are always a mystery. I don't really know what you're supposed to There must be just some sort of passive income happening. I don't know. He did publish a book about sea disasters. Remember he says (laughs) that? And then he has the coffee table book later in this. True, yeah. So I guess he's a part-time author. (laughs) Isn't that how he knew the thing about the shipwreck, right? Didn't he say he published a book about sea disasters? That could be. I I don't remember that. Or shipwrecks. I don't know. (laughs) That would make sense. While George is working at his new job, he becomes attracted to a cleaning lady named Evie and has sex with her after they both drink Hennigan's. Randomly sprinkled throughout the series, there's just these episodes where George is confident and going for it. Yeah. And you're like, where is this coming from? You didn't think he had it in him. I think casual sex was just easier to come by in the 90s. I don't know. I can't, I can't really come up with any explanation as to how... George scores as much as he does. Seriously, <laughs> He's like, Will Chamberlain. <laughs> the next day, Evie gets upset over what happened the previous night and threatens to report it to the boss of the company. George tries to compensate with her by offering the flawed cashmere sweater. Inspiring a tear-jerking story. Evie is overjoyed with the gift, launching into an emotional story about her first cashmere experience. <laughs> She then notices the red dot and consequently gets him fired. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, this seems like a risky move, her reporting this, because she did participate as well. Yeah, I wonder how she was framing that story. Yeah. It's sort of a, a weird gray area that... I was thinking that too. They probably wouldn't yeah. 
have any kind of storyline like I this wouldn't now. think no because it just sort of leaves a lot of weirdness there. He's making Clarence Thomas jokes and <laughs> yeah. I felt like her story was sort of a parody of that emotional climax in Suddenly Last Summer oh, or something yeah, like that. Right. Cuz they're very like similar type stories. Yeah. I don't even know if they were necessarily parodying any one of those movies in particular, but those southern gothic uh-huh. like Tennessee Williams like over the top right things. Now when George is actually being fired for this, it is one of the great scenes and deliveries from Jason Alexander. Yeah, I would say that it's a top five Seinfeld moment for sure. <laughs> Should I not have done that? Jason Alexander considers the scene where George reacts indifferently to having sex on his desk with Evie, the cleaning lady, to be the defining moment for his character. Oh, wow. I would agree with that. Yeah. This is still early enough because the first season was only five episodes or something like that, and I think the second season's only 12. So we're not even really a full season in yet. Yeah. And now... Early on in season three, we're learning about these people. We know these characters a little bit better now. And now this is the one where you're going to be like, okay, (laughs) this guy is a piece of shit. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? But the best thing about the scene and the delivery is it's hilarious, but you are a little bit. This kind of seems like a genuine reaction, too, because these people don't know right from wrong. (laughs) No, I think they do. Yeah. But. And they've gone so far down a certain way. And you got to have it that he's being a character that oh, he knows yeah, it's yeah. wrong, or else it's less funny in a way. Yeah, it's like yeah. the fact that he would even attempt a lie this audacious. Because <laughs> I've worked in other offices. <laughs> People are doing that kind of thing all the time. I'm going to get right to the point. Uh, it's come to my attention that you and the cleaning woman have engaged in sexual intercourse on the desk in your office. Is that correct? Who said that? She did. Was that wrong? Should I not have done that? I tell you, I gotta plead ignorance on this thing because if anyone had said anything to me at all when I first started here that that sort of thing was frowned upon... You know, because I've worked in a lot of offices, and I tell you, people do that all the time. You're fired. Well, you didn't have to say it like that. I I want you out of here by the end of the day. What about the whole Christmas spirit thing? Any flexibility there? Nah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. She wanted me to give you this. Meanwhile, Dick shows up at one of Jerry's comedy sets drunk and starts heckling him. I know, and you you hit on it because there's a couple episodes where we go into the audience for his comedy shows, but that really jumped out to me watching this. It was unexpected that we'd actually get a shot from the audience. The expression on the wagon came about at the turn of the century when horse-drawn wagons carried water used to clean the streets. Jumping on the wagon during Prohibition meant that one drank water rather than alcohol. So there's where it came from. I didn't know that, but unlike the Statue of Liberty bit, I did know that on the wagon was correct. Yes, I did as well. Elaine and Jerry arrive at the office just as George is beginning to pack his things. Elaine, not that mad. 
I would be furious if I had gotten a friend a job and then they got fired in the most embarrassing way. I know. Because then that reflects poorly on you. The things that Nothing the characters sometimes let go. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they'll let something go by, right by them and they don't care. And then other times they act like it's the worst thing imaginable. I know. Because it feels like Elaine being fired for referring this dude would be on the table. After getting into an argument, they hear a drunken dick. <laughs> okay. Someone you, you've been I, familiar I, with. Yeah, really. A drunken dick. <laughs> sure. Rampaging through the hallway, coming to get his revenge on Jerry for losing his job. The three hide under George's desk as Dick approaches. George offers the cashmere sweater. This calms his rage until he sees the dot. Jerry recounts the incident during his stand-up comedy act, and Dick is among the audience smiling with a non-alcoholic drink in his hand. I thought it was pretty funny that <laughs> Elaine's initial knee-jerk reaction is to say, It's Kate Fear! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh too, yeah. And I would say an oddly upbeat ending for an episode of Seinfeld. Oh, for sure. Because normally you would think they wouldn't give a shit. I know. If they left you thinking this guy had just fallen off the wagon and Jerry and just ruined, ruined his, his life. life. Yeah. Indefinitely. It seems like that may have almost been a network note because it just is so different from the tone of how Seinfeld True. usually works. But I don't know. I didn't see any information about that. Up next, another classic. They're all classics, Absolutely. Folks. But I think we're definitely crossing off some of the most known ones here back-to-back with the yeah. red dot. And now the Junior Mint. Working title was The Artist, by the way. Season 4, episode 20, originally airing March 17th, 1993. Written by Andy Robin and directed by Tom Sharone. Guest starring Susan Walters as Mulva slash Dolores. And Sherman Howard as Roy. Jerry cannot remember the name of the woman he is dating, but knows it rhymes with a part of the female anatomy, while Elaine's artistic ex-boyfriend develops a potentially lethal infection after Jerry and Kramer drop a junior mint into his body during surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that's the plot of your show. Just guy goes into sepsis and drops dead. I know. The whole thing with Jerry not knowing this girl's name was like really hitting for me, and it's just because... Anytime someone introduces themselves to me, literally two seconds later, I'm like, I have no idea what they said. Yeah. Every time. And I really hate it about myself because there have been times where it's only a few minutes later that I want to address that person. And I'm like, I don't know what their name is. So I have to figure out a different way to do it. So you just say Mulva. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This episode won Michael Richards his first Emmy of the series. In a way, I would say that the Junior Mint encapsulates everything that is excellent and great about Seinfeld because you have the opening scene which establishes all of the main stories it's very direct it wastes no time at all it's stellar construction oh yeah which is something I notice in basically every episode because I'm hitting pause on Netflix to write stuff down and I'm seeing how much time is left in an episode and I'm always blown away by how much more information is dispensed in seven minutes or something Whereas if that was a movie, seven minutes is basically the end. There's nothing else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but with Seinfeld, there's still 25 plot points that need to be checked off. <laughs> I know. It's insane how fast TV can work. And when it's done well like this, you don't even notice. It's just within two minutes of this episode starting, you know all of the directions yeah. you're going in. Well, the pacing of these episodes vary like quite a bit. There would be ones that I watch 
they're over in a flash. And then there's other ones that I, I feel like it's like 45 minutes long. Well, if but, you're watching them on Netflix, they put a lot of the two-parters together. Yeah. So there are a bunch that seem very long. True, but I did mean just the normal run episodes. Sometimes they can feel long. Here's what we learn. Jerry met a beautiful woman who he is about to start dating, but can't remember what she said her name is. Number two, George has come into a sudden windfall of cash, $1,900 from a long-forgotten sixth-grade bank account. <laughs> and number three... Elaine's ex, Roy, is in the hospital awaiting surgery. How ridiculous do you feel it is when she starts acting like because this guy's lost weight that he's now attractive? Yeah, it is a little. <laughs> it is a little bit much. I was like, what? George is dreaming of a big score, which Jerry jokes means that he's just wanting to lose the money immediately. Yeah, right. He also rented Home Alone and is planning to watch it by himself. <laughs> Elaine needs Jerry as her pretend boyfriend because she broke up with Roy because he was too fat and doesn't want him to get any ideas just because she's visiting him. Yeah, and she just comes right out with that information. Not in front of Roy. No, no, but I mean, there's not a lot of shame. Well, why would there be? (laughs) Agreed. Jerry and Elaine go see Roy in the hospital. Their dynamic here is hilarious. Elaine is getting interested in the newly slimmed down Roy, but Jerry doubles down, triples down, (laughs) keeps going in. Honey. Aren't we going to the Poconos this Friday? (laughs) She's clearly wanting to change tactics, and he's being a dick on purpose. He breaks out the yo-yo and starts playing with it. This is one of those times where they try to do stuff with continuity, and then the episodes air in a different order, and so then it gets weird. Which is probably why shows like this often didn't try to continue from one to the next because when they were producing so many of these sitcom episodes, they didn't need to be in order, so there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on it. But a couple of episodes later, after this, Jerry says the line, I think I want to get a yo-yo or something like that. I think I'm going to buy a yo-yo or something. Right. But it actually aired after this. So that probably is why they doubled down on it almost seemingly intentionally not making the continuity make sense probably burned him a couple times yeah i don't know that it was a huge thing that they would have thought of to care one way or the other but yeah kramer's there too he asked the surgeon about using retractors because of a story on 2020 and then when the doctor says well we have to use a retractor he makes that face to roy (laughs) (laughs) you're dead man you're so dead the doctor then invites kramer to observe the surgery which he agrees to. If I was Roy, 100% I would say, believable, by the way. I would say no. Yeah. I don't want this guy that I don't know. Seriously. <laughs> what the fuck? George is crying from home alone. Uh, yeah, relatable. Not specific to that movie, but think of any movie that you could that wouldn't inspire tears for most people. I've probably been alone weeping on the couch <laughs> watching it. Well, I watched Home Alone this past, I can't remember if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas. I think it was around Christmas, actually, and it was with my mom, dad, and one of my sisters, and both of my parents were crying at the end of Home Alone. Oh, okay, yeah. And this delighted both me and my sister, who were laughing hysterically, (laughs) because I did not think that people cried from Home Alone, but then I was reminded of this story (laughs) at the time, and then I didn't know that we were going to be doing it so soon, but yeah, (laughs) I've seen it firsthand, Okay, it is embarrassing. (laughs) Home Alone, a tearjerker. As Jerry now feels it would be much too awkward to simply ask his date her name since they've spent time together now, 
He tries to figure it out by talking around it. He tells the woman that people made fun of his name in school. His examples are legitimately hilarious. Jerry Jerry Dingleberry. (laughs) Sign smelled. (laughs) And asks if kids made fun of her name. She affirms that yes, she was teased relentlessly because her name rhymes with a part of the female anatomy. This clue prompts Jerry and George to brainstorm possible candidates, with George eventually suggesting mulva as it rhymes with vulva. <laughs> I gotta tell you, for what it really is, I, I don't think I knew that female body part when I was a kid. And would oh, no, it. I probably would not have known the first time I saw this episode, yeah. which was probably middle school or something. Right, right. <laughs> I wouldn't know what that was until I was <laughs> I still don't. deep into my... <laughs> I still don't. Still not really sure. <laughs> Kramer shows up and says his date to Roy's splenectomy bailed and gets Jerry to go with him. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite things about the entire series is the willingness of these people to always go on these little <laughs> misadventures with each other. Jerry ad-libbed the line, then we'll go watch them slice this fat bastard up. <laughs> you can kind of tell, too, because he's laughing as he's saying it. He's pleased with himself. <laughs> Kramer and Jerry observe Roy's splenectomy in the hospital's operating theater and accidentally drop a junior mint from the viewing gallery into his body. (laughs) They actually used a York peppermint patty for filming because the junior mint was too small for the camera. Listen, will you guys go to the operation with me? You asked a date to go to the operation? Yeah. So come on, what do you say? Huh? What kind of operation is it? Splenectomy. Isn't that where they remove the... No, no, don't ruin it for me. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, come on, what do you say? Mulva. <laughs> Mulva? Come on, come on, you want to go? All come right, on. all right. Just let me finish my coffee. I'm going to watch him go slice this fat bastard up. <laughs> now we'll open the peritoneal cavity... Exposing the body's internal organs. Nurse, retractor. What are you eating? Junior mint. You want one? No. No, I can't see. Could you get... Where'd you get those? The machine? You want one? No. Here. Take one. I don't want one. No, they're good. Take I don't want any. Just take one. No, stop it. Kramer, stop it. off some respirator thing into the patient. What do you mean, into the patient? Into the patient, literally. Into the hole? Yes. The hole. Didn't they notice it? No. How could they not notice it? Because it's a little mint. It's a junior mint. 
What did they do? They sealed him up with the mint inside. <laughs> they left the junior mint in him? Yes. Well, I, I guess it can't hurt him. People eat pounds of those things. Yes, they eat them. They don't put them next to vital organs in their abdominal cavity. <laughs> As is often the case when we go through these episodes, we come across these famous moments. And I would say that the Junior Mint situation is right up there with the Soup Nazi or the yada yada or any of the oh, yeah. famous right. moments from the show. But rewatching it is always a joy, mostly because of Michael Richards during the scene. Kramer trying to move the surgeon so that he can see better will never not be funny to me. <laughs> And then Kramer and Jerry fighting over the mints. Mm-hmm. That little interaction of them fighting over whether or not Jerry's going to have a mint, that feels like Seinfeld in a nutshell, where they get oh, yeah. into these weird social pleasantries, social niceties, kind of the way that people interact, and that becomes the basis for conflict and weird stuff to happen. Of course. <laughs> and then when they're telling George about it, into the hole? <laughs> yeah. Elaine prognosis negative which then later becomes the name of a movie in their little universe oh right (laughs) so roy is battling an infection post-surgery kramer and jerry don't know whether or not to tell anyone (laughs) there's a lot of panic somehow nobody noticed this mint fall out of the sky i do like uh, jerry's having like a a telltale heart (laughs) breakdown over this being the true scumbag that he is george hears about roy's condition and the wheels start turning. How can I profit from this? <laughs> he spends his $1,900 on Roy's triangle art, thinking it could appreciate in value if he dies. And then eventually he just is shamelessly rooting for Roy to die. Right. Which, it's one of the darker George turns in any episode, seriously, really. But it's also, look, I'm sure there's a lot of shitty artists that die all the time and their art does not go up in value. Yeah, it's really dumb plan. Seriously. Meanwhile, Jerry's with Mulva again and decides to take a chance, guessing Mulva out loud. She's confused, so he covers with a lame excuse about his aunt. Kramer and George try introducing themselves by name, but it doesn't work. When ne- Kramer does it, I-, I actually just like laughed out loud when he's just like, see you later. <laughs> Neither does rifling through her purse when she's in the bathroom. Another thing. <laughs> yeah, two I- episodes where Jerry's rifling through a woman's purse. <laughs> I was surprised at how good of a sport she was. It is weird (laughs) because it's like two seconds and he's immediately (laughs) rifling through and like looks guilty. When George comes to Jerry's apartment and introduces himself to Dolores, he's carrying several video cassettes. The one on the top is Pretty Woman in which Jason Alexander played a supporting role. Yeah, he tries to rape Julia Roberts in that movie. There's some trivia for you. Which is weird. Yes. Roy's condition suddenly turns around and he recovers. Although Roy attributes the change to George buying his art, the doctor attributes the limited effect of the infection to, quote, something from above, something unknown. As Kramer offers the doctor a junior mint, Elaine decides to cancel her date with Roy, whom she observes eating enthusiastically again in his (laughs) hospital room. Yeah, he's a housing a a plate of spaghetti. And now we're having the reversal of the Jerry Elaine dynamic from before, where she's now pretending that Jerry's her boyfriend again, and they have plans to go to the Poconos, and he's now saying, he's backed out. No, and then at the end, she's just like, please. 
In this episode, as mentioned, George invests in that triangle sculpture art, thinking the artist will die and that the value will increase. However, since Roy makes a remarkable recovery and George is stuck with the piece, in later episodes, the statue can still be seen in different places throughout George's apartment, and perhaps as an inside joke, so too can other triangle motifs, including the baseball pennant and other triangular shapes. Sure. It just sort of became part of his world after this. <laughs> when Jerry makes it quite obvious that he doesn't know this woman's name, she finally presses him to say it. Jerry guesses Mulva again, even though he knows that that's wrong, causing her to storm out. Right after she leaves, it finally dawns on Jerry, and he runs to the window yelling out, Dolores! Which is a strong ending. <laughs> According to the inside look from the DVD, the writers had trouble coming up with a name for Jerry's girlfriend, initially settling on Cloris, as in Cloris Leachman, I guess. Oh, yeah. When filming the episode, a comedian would warm up the studio audience in between filming scenes and, as an exercise, asked audience members to guess Jerry's girlfriend's name. One audience member guessed Dolores, which was deemed a better fit than their first choice. Jerry approved of it in time to add it to the script, and the scene was shot with that being the character's name instead. Afterwards, a producer for the show was amused to overhear the audience member's husband saying, you guessed right. <laughs> Meanwhile, they were just like, oh, that's better. <laughs> yeah, I right. It is better. Yeah, Cloris, I felt like, probably would have been a reach. Even though we all know Cloris Leachman, but it's not a common name. Yeah. And it would have seemed almost as ridiculous as Mulva. Agree. Whereas Dolores, you're like, oh, yeah. That's a good fuck. fit. Yeah, and I never would have thought of that. <laughs> Next up, mm-hmm. another classic. Another Ooh. banger. This they all are. often cited as a top 10 i think on a lot of lists Mm. for me personally i don't know that i would have it up that high because it's almost too much for me to take (laughs) i get so embarrassed for george yeah that it's one of the harder episodes to rewatch in a way and of of course talking about the fire (laughs) season five episode 20 although it's number 19 on netflix because they combine some of those double ups together Originally airing May 5th, 1994. Written by Larry Charles, which would be his final episode that he wrote. Directed by Tom Sharone. Guest starring Melanie Chartoff as Robin. Vian Cox as Toby. Dom Herrera as Ronnie Kay. And Jon Favreau as Eric the Clown. (laughs) George struggles to keep his cool in a fire while Elaine's co-worker heckles Jerry's act, sparking retaliation, and then an accident where Kramer must step in and save the day. Of course. Writer Larry Charles said the episode was sparked by the mental image of George pushing women and children out of his way to escape a fire, and he built the rest of the episode off of his starting image. The Toby-Elaine rivalry was inspired by the office politics at a show next door to Seinfeld. Now listen to this. Okay. One of the employees had lost a baby, and some of her co-workers were jealous of the attention their boss gave her because of this tragedy. Yikes. I was like, holy shit, that that's is, so dark. Yeah. <laughs> they change it reality, to a fucking toe. Reality is somehow darker than this episode of Seinfeld. 
Kramer is at Pendant Publishing discussing his idea of a coffee table book about <laughs> coffee tables with Elaine and her hyper-enthusiastic co-worker Toby, who is a woman whom Elaine cannot stand. I don't think it even needs to be said. Obviously, I'm with Elaine 100% here. Absolutely. Toby is unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> In a way that almost no real person actually could be. It's so over hope. the top. Yeah. As I said, Vianne Cox plays Toby in this episode. One of the actresses she beat out for the role was Molly Shannon, oh. who ended up playing Sam in episode 22 of season 8, The Summer of George, also playing one. one of Elaine's co-workers <laughs> that she doesn't get along with. <laughs> kind of a recurring theme yeah, really. in Elaine's life. By this point, the show was so well established that you could have Jerry say things like, it's gold, baby. And he's not only aping George with the babies, which they comment on, but Banya as well. Oh, yeah. Calling something gold, that becomes a Banya thing later. Right. Meanwhile, George has started up with Robin, a comedy club waitress with a kid. Almost impossible to imagine George dating a woman with a kid. Absolutely. I can't really fathom that. I know. That seems like it would be its own storyline, like the complaining and everything that would go along with that. But George is all in. Yeah, I think they did a condensed version of it. They have the kid acting crazy a couple times under yeah. the table. I don't even know if you really even see the kid. I didn't think so. It made me think of what we talked about with the shirt, where there is no kid actor in the scene. They're just pretending like there's one there. Yeah, like the dog from mm-hmm. that one episode that everyone hates. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that they probably tended to avoid things that they thought were trite stereotypical sitcom true, true hack things i'm guessing because that does seem like its own episode the fact that they just casually toss in oh george is dating someone with a kid well yeah it, and it doesn't really seem like any of the characters would be able to like not jerry not elaine i mean maybe kramer <laughs> date someone with a kid it for just... some reason it seems most believable with kramer yeah yeah <laughs> George suggests Bozo for the boy's birthday party, but he is met with much resistance. I just couldn't stop thinking about the Tim Robinson sketch Bozo dubbed over. (laughs) Bozo did the dub. (laughs) No, I think it's supposed to be what Bozo's thinking. (laughs) Just like, what is this? Kramer invites Toby to see Jerry's act, where she variously cheers, boos, and hisses him, thinking this to be part of the stand-up comedy experience. I know. Even what kind when, of food do you think they serve at a stand-up comedy club? You know, like sliders. <laughs> Wait, how are you? <laughs> this is so inside. I'm good. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? This could go on forever. <laughs> when you think about it. No, go ahead. Sorry. Even when she's enjoying the jokes and talking about how great they are, it's as bad or worse than when she's booing and hissing yeah it's throwing jerry off completely because she's basically just talking out loud and ruining the timing sometimes you can't help but get frustrated with kramer or some of the other people on the show where you're thinking i get that everyone on this show is an oblivious narcissistic (laughs) ass they're just caught up in their own shit the fact that kramer isn't telling her to shut up i don't know well, Kramer's really crazy. into this relationship. For some reason. <laughs> it doesn't even seem like he really dates her at any point. He's just kind of sucking up to her, I yeah. guess, to get his coffee table book made. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. 
Out of consideration for Kramer, though, Jerry refrains from making any retort against her and becomes flustered, earning a bad review from a major magazine critic. George suggests that Jerry get the ultimate comedian's revenge by going to Toby's place of work and heckling her in return. George attends his girlfriend's son's party and immediately gets into it with the hired entertainment, Eric the Clown, which a lot of people may not realize is John Favreau. This was his first TV yeah. appearance. George still going on and on about Bozo. One of George's least attractive qualities is when he gets fixated on things mm-hmm. that no one cares about. Yeah, familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I could definitely see you at a party going up to people trying to engage with them about Bozo the Clown. Yeah, I just can't let things go, and it's hard for people to deal with. For those of you who don't know, Bozo the Clown first appeared on American television in 1949, portrayed by circus performer Pinto Kolvig, until the character's creative rights were purchased by professional clown Larry Harmon, who appeared as Bozo before he franchised the character in 1957, so local stations could produce their own Bozo shows, with the clown performed by various artists, including weatherman Willard Scott. Then in 1965, Harmon produced Bozo's Big Top for syndication to television markets. Since 2021, the rights to Bozo have been owned by actor David Arquette. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, okay. That's why I wanted to read that. I was going to say, this seems like info we don't really care about, but yeah, the punchline made it worth it. (laughs) Some clown from the 60s, man. You hung up. (laughs) During the party... George panics when a small grease fire breaks out in the kitchen and then pushes down everyone in his escape path, including Robin's elderly mother, her son, (laughs) other children, and other old people, and Robin herself. A party of old women and little children, basically, is all it is. You know, fight or flight kicks in. I'm definitely flight. Eric the Clown ultimately puts out the fire with his shoe. (laughs) Which is actually a great payoff to when George (laughs) is telling Jerry the story. Is this George's lowest moment on the show? It's It's definitely up there. Yeah, it's hard to find something worse than this. (laughs) And he just keeps making it so much worse (laughs) when he's trying to justify it to everyone. And treating everyone as equals. Because he's being attacked, and then he launches into this leading the way story, and he was the leader. (laughs) Seemingly. Seemingly. (laughs) The fireman says, how do you live with yourself? And he just answers, it's not easy. (laughs) Excuse me. You must be George. I'm Robin's mother. Oh, you seem like such a lovely young man. Well, I do what I can. (laughs) Hi, Ma. How's everything? Oh, this is just a wonderful party. (laughs) Burgers should be ready in a minute. Oh, great, great. What's that smell? Smoke? Smoke? Everybody, I think I smell some smoke back here. There's an inferno in there! An inferno! There he is! That's him!
trying to lead the way. We needed a leader, someone to lead the way to safety. But you yelled, get out of my way. Because, because, as the leader, if I die, then all hope is lost. <laughs> Who would leave? <laughs> the clowns? <laughs> Instead of castigating me, you should all be thanking me. What kind of a topsy-turvy world do we live in where, where heroes are cast as villains, brave men as cowards? But I saw you push the women and children out of the way in a mad panic. I saw you knock them down. And when you ran out, you left everyone behind. Seemingly. Seemingly. To the untrained eye, I can fully understand how you got that impression. What looked like pushing, what looked like knocking down, was a safety precaution. In a fire, you stay close to the ground. Am I right? <laughs> and when I ran out that door, I was not leaving anyone behind. Oh, quite the contrary. I risked my life making sure that exit was clear. <laughs> Any other questions? How do you live with yourself? It's not easy. <laughs> She doesn't want to see me anymore. Did you knock her over, too, or just the kid? No, her, too. And her mother. Really? Her mother? Yeah. May have stepped on her arm, too. Right? You probably couldn't see because of the smoke. Yeah. But it was somebody's arm. Mm. So you feel women and children first in this day and age is somewhat of an antiquated notion? To some degree. So basically, it's every man, woman, child, an invalid for themselves. In a manner of speaking. Yeah. Well, that's honest. Yeah. She should be commending me for treating everyone like equals. Well, perhaps when she's released from the burn center, she'll see things differently. Perhaps. So what was the fire? Just a couple of greasy hamburgers? Yeah. Eric the Clown put it out with his big shoe. The recap scene with Jerry is pure perfection, mm -hmm. too. It should come as no surprise that a disgusted Robin dumps George in the aftermath of the fire. Swedish director Ruben Ostlund has cited this episode as a major influence okay. in Force making majeure. Force Majeure, which has a similar plot. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is, is in, in the, the American, American remake. remake. Yeah. Jerry goes to Pendant Publishing and heckles Toby. Upset, she runs out of the building where her foot is run over by a street sweeper, severing her pinky toe. <laughs> after an, to Kramer Theater. After an ambulance takes her away, Kramer finds and ices the toe, boards a bus, and fights a gunman to get to the hospital. And drives the bus. Where her toe is successfully reattached. <laughs> to Elaine's in indignation, Toby receives a promotion that Elaine had wanted because her boss felt sorry for her because of the accident. I can get you a toe, dude. Toby's first order of business is getting Kramer's coffee table book published. <laughs> It was originally planned that Kramer's adventure in the bus would be filmed in action, as I said, and the resulting footage intercut with the scene in which he recounts what happened. 
However, the audience reaction to Kramer's monologue was so positive that the bus scene was deemed unnecessary. Well, sometimes that works. It's cheaper, but it's also just a better way to portray it. The sequence where he finds the toe and ices it inside a Cracker Jack box was filmed, oh. but not used, and appears among the deleted scenes in the DVD release. It is actually weird how they do it, and Seinfeld, despite being a show that by the time it went off the air was huge and was number one super popular, it does cheap out a lot. Oh, yeah. We covered an episode already in one of the prior Give Us a Seconds where they shot that horrible green screen shit with George and Kramer on the side <laughs> of a rock when they go rock climbing. No. That looks terrible. This whole sequence, they used stock footage and then that close-up of Kramer's face. Yeah. That's how they portray it when he runs out of the building and then they're just locked in on Kramer's face. I know. It's a weird shot. It seems out of place with anything else you normally see, but it would also feel out of place if they did something that looked really cool. And yeah, well it just done. wasn't yeah. that kind of show. I don't really think they had necessarily the types of directors that would know how to put all right. of those things right. together. This was all very <laughs> standard sitcom stuff. Occasionally, because they got into these harebrained schemes and weird stuff, they would come up with larger-than-life scenarios, mm -hmm. like a Mimbo falling off of a rock or a Kramer saving a severed pinky toe and rushing to the hospital commandeering a bus. Of course. But yeah, this was not really the type of show that could pull any of that off. The sets are all very... <laughs> Minimal. Yeah, cheap. Yeah. Nothing looks real when they're inside. Right. It doesn't look like anyone's real apartment or anything like no, that. No, everything looks like sets. Yeah, it's a play. <laughs> yeah. A lot of old sitcoms are basically plays. Of course. Mama's Family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some more than others, really. <laughs> Why did you go up there to heckle her for? Because she came down to the club and heckled me. I gave her a taste of her own medicine. Oh, yeah! You gave her a taste of medicine, all right. Well, I didn't want her to have an accident. What accident? Well, after he heckled Toby, she got so upset, she ran out of the building, and a street sweeper ran over her foot and severed her pinky toe. <laughs> That's unbelievable! Yeah, then after the ambulance left, I found the toe. So I put it in a Cracker Jack box, filled it with ice, and took off for the hospital. You ran? No, I jumped on the bus. I told the driver, I got a tow here, buddy. Step on it. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah. Then, all of a sudden, this guy pulls out a gun. Well, I knew any delay's gonna cost her her pinky toe. So I got out of the seat, and I started walking towards him. He says, where do you think you're going, Cracker Jack? I says, well, I got a little prize for you, buddy. Yeah! Knocked him out cold. How could you do that? Yeah, then everybody is screaming because the driver, he's passed out because of all the commotion. The bus is out of control. So I grab him by the collar, I take him out of the seat, I get behind the wheel, now I'm driving the bus. You're Batman. Yeah, yeah, I am Batman. Then the mugger, he comes to and he starts choking me. So I'm fighting him off with one hand and I kept driving the bus with the other, you know? Then I managed to open up the door and I kicked him out the door, you know, with my foot, you know, at the next stop. You kept making all the stops? Well, people kept ringing the bell. What, what about the toe? What happened to the toe? Well, 
I am happy to say that the little guy is back in place at the end of the line. You did all this for a pinky toe? Well, it's a valuable appendage. Elaine is upset that Toby got the promotion because of her pinky toe and states the pinky toe is useless and stupid, but she felt differently in the 11th episode of season five, The Conversion, when she told her podiatrist boyfriend how much she loved feet, especially the pinky toe. See, that's another time where I think it's intentional. Mm-hmm. Because I think they're referencing this Probably. incident. Yeah. Or one is referencing the other or whatever. I, I don't know which one was this. Yeah, this would have come after that. So yeah, it's the I, opposite. I, I think she's just telling that guy in the moment uh-huh. whatever she thought that he wanted to hear. Jerry convinces the critic to return to the comedy club to judge his performance again. Inspired by Kramer's heroic toe recovery, George approaches Robin at the club and asks for a second chance, saying that he has changed. However, when he spots a prop comic holding a fake gun, he screams, panics, and runs away as he did with the fire, ruining Jerry's act and causing Robin to think he's a pussy. What is supposed to be funny about this guy holding a prop gun at the bartender. I don't know. I think they just wanted a reason for him to Yeah, I know. pull the prop gun out, I guess. Well, there's really nothing funny about prop comics in general, so <laughs> I don't true. know what to tell you. <laughs> Basic prop humor. And now we are at the last one as mm-hmm. we're only doing 5. We're going to jump a few seasons now into one of the later ones. Which... I think this is another classic episode that is routinely in the top 10 for a lot of people yeah for sure in in terms of most reference seinfeld things the line from this may be it i feel like i've heard it even more than the yada yada are you talking about the b story from this too yeah yeah i know this has arguably an a and b story that are equally famous in the show's run which Uh is what makes it stand out we're of course talking about the bizarro jerry season eight episode three originally airing october 3rd 1996 Written by David Mendel and directed by Andy Ackerman. Guest starring Tim Decay as Kevin, Kristen Bauer as Jillian, Pat Kilbane as Bizarro Kramer, and Kyle T. Hefner as Bizarro George. Elaine's new friend is Jerry's exact opposite, and George enters a forbidden city of beautiful women on the back of a lie while Jerry dates a woman with man hands and Kramer role-plays as an office employee at an upscale firm. When you go from seasons two through five or whatever and then jump ahead to, like, season seven, a noticeable change in in the look of everything. It looks a bit sharper. Yeah, the budget went up, although I think the gritty realism went out the window. Yep. Jerry now has full control by season eight because Larry has left, and this is definitely a Jerry episode. Uh Uh-huh. I think he always liked the idea of a bizarro Jerry because yeah. he is obsessed with Superman. Right. And this was something he wanted to do. I, I'm not saying that Larry David was somewhere saying, no, we're definitely not doing it and preventing it or anything like right. that. But now that Jerry is the main mind. solely in control of the show, we're heading in episodes that he likes. This is one where the B plot is definitely a, is as famous as the A plot. There are a few of those for sure, oh, yeah. but this is one of the... The, de- the definitive ones because of how popular the phrase man hands became and that entering the lexicon and everything you could even argue the b story is more famous than the a story 
Although I do think that the idea of the Bizarro thing, while not having the definitive line to say, is also famous in Seinfeld lore. That is true, and like something that continued to be a joke, or you would get worked into conversations. Yeah, I think it helped return the idea of Bizarro meaning opposite back to the popular culture, because I think that a lot of Superman stuff had started to fade from popular culture, especially the more... I don't want to say obscure, but less popular elements of the story. It's not as if there was any major Superman stuff going on in the 90s, really, because by that point, the Christopher Reeve stuff was done. And True. It didn't invent, obviously, the concept of the Bizarro. It's using the Superman Of course, Bizarro, yeah. But right. it, I think it Did repopularized it, it again, yeah. yeah. David Mendel wrote the episode after his then-girlfriend Rebecca ended their long-distance relationship. Rebecca, the now-wife of Mandel was self-conscious about what she called her farmhands. Mandel is part of the new generation of Seinfeld writers who were fans of the show before working on it. Mandel saw the opportunity to include such self-referential meta-humor as the Bizarro characters, as the writers were able to rely on audiences being familiar enough with the series in order to understand the jokes. Mm. Mandel has described it as his favorite episode of the series. <laughs> well, modest. Yeah, he wrote it. The episode's Kramer story was inspired by how Mandel often assisted customers at Tower Records who mistakenly thought he worked there. An acquaintance of Mandel's was so ashamed of how physically unattractive the woman who dumped him was, when talking about her, he would show a photo of a different woman inspiring the George story. <laughs> That's so horrible, really? yet also funny because the woman dumped the guy totally. who was ashamed of how ugly she was. Yes. Yeah. But what circumstances are you telling a story of when Seriously. you were dumped and showing a photo? I know. I've never shown a photo to be like, oh, this girl dumped me. <laughs> yeah. Unless it was Sydney Sweeney and I have a noose around my neck and this is the explanation <laughs> now. Oh, yeah, this, this woman just dumped me. I'm yeah. going to kill myself police show up to the dead body and they're just like yeah makes sense the title and plot extensively reference bizarro superman bizarro is a supervillain or anti-hero appearing in dc comics the character was created by writer otto binder and artist george papp as a mirror image of superman and first appeared in superboy number 68 in 1958 debuting in the silver age of comic books the character has often been portrayed as an antagonist to Superman, though on occasion he also takes on an anti-hero role. I've never actually seen anything with Bizarro Superman, so I don't really know much about it. I know he has a B on his stomach instead of an S. I saw versions of him on the animated series. I never watched the Superman animated series. It was always less than the Batman one, but it would usually air after, at least while I was watching it. I was never really much into DC characters except for Batman. Yeah, I didn't really know you. much about the other ones at all. No, I know. No stand-up in this episode, thank God, as we've already shit on it, but we're moving past that now where they do bumper scenes, which are actually yeah. usually pretty funny right? and far superior to the stand-up shots. I think so. Post-Larry David, so the show is weirder, less realistic vibe. While using the restrooms... At a company called Brant Leland, Kramer aids an employee with a printer and is mistaken for a co-worker by the staff. He begins showing up at regular work hours with no contract and no pay, <laughs> simply appreciating the structure that a steady job 
adds to his life. I get it. I was going to the House of Buys on this one a little bit myself. Could there be a situation where you're just in an office and there's just somebody there that doesn't actually work there and you just go along with it? No. <laughs> well, not so. post 9-11 well, or yeah. Columbine or shit like that. Okay. But probably not at any point. Yeah. But certainly not now. If you're not like a boss or something, though, and there's just somebody there and they're going I probably to wouldn't question That's it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I did like that this episode highlighted something that I've always found to be very important, which is toilet scouting. Okay, right. You never yeah. want to be caught in places where you don't know where a bathroom could be. Mm-hmm. Different parts of the city. And I would imagine New York City, that's always got to be a thing. And the whole thing here is that they know which bathrooms are the best. Well, George knows. Yeah. He knows. <laughs> that is a scenario where you do appreciate having access to the mind of George Costanza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flush like a jet engine or whatever. It's <laughs> incredible. So we'll f- we'll focus on this Kramer one. We'll play that out for a bit. I like that he just starts wearing a suit, and the comedy bits are all pretty predictable, yeah. but they all work where he's waking Jerry up early in the morning, and he's saying, please keep it down. Some of us have to go to work. <laughs> right. And Jerry asks what he does, and he says, TCV, taking care of business. <laughs> what do you have in that briefcase? It's- Crackers. <laughs> That's the best when he actually has the briefcase open and it's just like three rolls of crackers. This story eventually reaches a natural and predictable conclusion with Kramer getting fired. But the Kramer-Jerry old married couple routine is pretty great. I think so. Where he's waiting with the chicken in the dark. (laughs) I also like how Kramer just goes into all the like beat down of the stressful job and everything and needing a drink <laughs> at the end of the day. Old man Leland's busting my home. <laughs> well, I think that there's a theme in this episode, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but both Jerry and Elaine, in their own way, end up being reminded of the value of this family of That's friends right. that they've created. Whereas yeah. Elaine realizes that she's no better than her shitty friends, eventually. And Jerry, once everyone seems busy, feels left out in the cold. Of course. Even though these people are constantly annoying him and constantly bothering him, once they stop... It's no life anymore. You yeah, he's like... Well, share these things with. I want, I want to do something. Yeah. Elaine breaks up with her boyfriend, Kevin, but they decide to remain friends. Kevin proves to be a much more reliable friend than Jerry. Jerry suggests to Elaine that Kevin is bizarro Jerry and explains how the Superman character, Bizarro, does everything in an opposite manner. Bad Elaine buy. asking the questions yeah. about it are really funny, too, when she's <laughs> she's highlighting how stupid it is, right. kind of. Does he live underwater? Is he black? <laughs> Stop asking questions. You gotta love when they incorporate Reggie's into the show as an alternative to Monks, and Reggie's really is the Bizarro Monks. Yeah. Not a fan of Elaine's shorter curly hair in this episode. It does stand out. Julia Louis-Dreyfus has been one of the most beautiful, hilarious, talented women in Hollywood for decades. And yet, for some reason, during the nine or so years on Seinfeld, they could not- Leave her hair alone? Figure out what to do with that hair. It's always different. It barely ever worked until very deep into the show where she finally started having consistently normal hair. Yeah. 
Now, there might be people who disagree and think that this is a good look for her. I don't know. I It's not. I think she looks good in a lot of the show. This is not my favorite hair look <laughs> of hers. <laughs> Jerry has perhaps one of my favorite lines <laughs> out of any episode because it really does fit me perfectly when she's telling him about Kevin and the whole situation. And Jerry just says, why would anybody want a friend? Yeah, I know. That made me think of you. <laughs> I think we've had very similar conversations yeah, where I've said that exact thing before. <laughs> Elaine wants Jerry to date her friend Jillian. Pretty smooth move on Elaine's part, providing the headshot, which is like a baseball card with her stats on the back. You know, implying that she's already prepared for all of Jerry's criticisms. and <laughs> Favorite president, James Polk. <laughs> The headshot snagged immediately by George, who's always scheming. The wheels in his head are always turning. Oh, yeah. He's always got ideas. And then George lays it out, what he's this thinking. Brilliant. I can use this picture yeah. as proof that I've already been to the promised land, this yeah, secret city of beautiful women that you can date. You and I have talked about it a lot in our lives. It's the Pete Davidson effect. I have that written right here. Yep. Elaine jokes that George has cracked it, but I wrote, hasn't he, though? <laughs> Haven't we seen this exact thing well, play out in real life? I know, and it does happen in the episode. So he's right. Everyone now will claim that they think Pete Davidson is hot. I've heard tons of girls say it now. Uh-huh. But before Ariana Grande dated him, there's just no way that he would have ended up dating Kim Kardashian and Kate Beckinsale. Right. And- all of these other beautiful, famous women. I just don't see that at all. Or these good Charlotte dudes or whoever. Yeah, the good Charlotte guys once yeah. they get into the club. Yeah, because nobody cares about good Charlotte anymore, and yet one of them is still somehow married to Cameron Diaz. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. Once you're in the club, you're in the club. I think it's real. 100%. At least with famous, beautiful women. Yeah, yeah. But this episode made me think that it applied to everybody. And I, I think there's something to that. Yeah. Jerry starts dating Jillian, but is horrified to discover that she has the large and strong hands of a man, and they get close-ups of those big hands on the bread and the beer <laughs> bottle. and Just r- ripping the bread apart. Pulling the eyelash off of his face. Yeah. Make the, a wish. The beer bottle thing of him being like, that's not a twist top. <laughs> now, I can't believe you haven't mentioned yeah. who Jillian is. <sighs> just a major player in the history of our friendship okay pam from true blood oh it is holy shit yeah no i <laughs> i didn't place that yeah kristen bauer van stratton wow. or whatever her name is yeah. now an underappreciated character from tv history not the man hands but pam from true blood she had man hands <laughs> man hands the hands of a man it's like a creature out of Greek mythology. I mean, she was like part woman, part horrible beast. Would you prefer it if she had no hands at all? Would she have hooks? Do, uh, do hooks make it more attractive, Jerry? Kind of cool looking. Listen, you're picking me up in White Plains tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got five... Huge boxes of buttons. Right. Well, if you need an extra set of hands, I know you can call. Jerry! (laughs) Would you like some bread, Jerry? No, no thanks. I'm just not hungry. Well, then at least drink your beer. (laughs) 
Stone. You have a little something on your face. I can get it. No, 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 you're missing it. It's higher. <laughs> Make a wish. I don't want to. Make a wish. Okay. <laughs> Didn't come true. Don't you just love lobster? <laughs> By the way, the man hands are all close-ups of a male crew member's hands, and Kristen Bauer's hands were kept off camera. Oh, I thank you for revealing that. Pretty for obvious. Me. I, yeah, I, I actually thought these were her hands. Now, I was watching this episode, and there's tons of shit that age is weird about Seinfeld. I oh, think yeah. that's part of the joy. I was wondering with the body shaming stuff and the way we think about gender and gender identity and all of the body positivity and different things of that nature. There's just so many potholes you can fall in along the way with this particular episode. Yeah, it's weird. This is definitely a moment in time. This episode is certainly not a commentary on any of those things at all. But even if you just want to look at it from the perspective of just general body shaming I this would be an episode that would be problematic for a lot of reasons oh but that's well, a lot yeah. of how Seinfeld operates of there's course. a lot of body shaming going on yeah it's certainly on brand <laughs> and all kinds of other shaming as well absolutely by utilizing a picture of Jillian to go along with his deceased fiance story George gains access to a nightclub full of attractive models However, in classic George fashion, he accidentally burns the photo with a hairdryer. I like when he's at the club and he's talking to those girls. and Yeah. He's like, oh, so you guys are models? What's that like? Fun? Stupid. <laughs> and then in his bathroom, because now deep into the show, we're in season eight, we're getting random one-off sets now, mm -hmm. whereas that was not something they were doing early on. And I love seeing... The giant poster of Dennis Franz that George oh, is I using know. as motivation. He's checking it when he's combing his I hair. I was losing it over that. <laughs> yeah, that was great. This whole storyline is great. I, George, there's multiple times, I feel like, throughout the show where he figures it out and then it's ruined for him all within the same episode. Oh, yeah. That's his whole downfall yeah. is how close he gets. <laughs> to being in. Elaine starts spending more and more platonic time with Kevin and is introduced to his friends Gene and Feldman, Bizarro George and Kramer respectively. These people are inherently decent but ultimately very boring and that will be the issue. David Mendel worked on Saturday Night Live the week Bob Saget was hosting. Mendel looked like one of Saget's friends and would therefore call him Feldman instead of Mandel repeatedly. When Mandel was struggling to come up with a name for Bizarro Kramer, he remembered this incident and used Saget's nickname for him. That's pretty great. Bizarro George's name is Gene. Larry David, the inspiration behind the character of George, has the middle name of Gene. I see. Jerry ends up feeling pretty neglected. As he puts it, the whole system's breaking down. <laughs> <laughs> with Elaine constantly with Kevin Company... Kramer falling prey to the 9-to-5 grind and George refusing to take him to that special nightclub. He breaks up with Jillian, 
But then she catches him trying to steal a picture from her purse, yeah, grabbing again. Jerry's hand and crushing it. <laughs> again, rummaging through a purse. <laughs> For some reason, that shot of her grabbing his hand with her big masculine hand, number one, is scary. Well, yeah, it's a I legitimately <laughs> scary moment. And number two, it really made me think of James Caan and Kathy Bates in Misery. I, know. I also love how she carries around these little pictures of herself. <laughs> That leads me into a thing which they do address in the episode, yeah. at least, with Jerry finally yelling at George, I'm the one who's actually dating the yeah. girl in the picture. <laughs> How embarrassing is it, though, if you're George? I guess he has no shame. We know that right. whatsoever. But if I took a picture of your girlfriend yeah. who I was like, well, there's no way I could get with this girl, but I'm going to use her because she's so beautiful as this fake lie. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Yeah. It is, and it's dark, too, but... George saying that actually using his dead ex-fiance's name and yeah. story is part of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> this is my ex-fiance, Susan Ross. She passed away. <laughs> These people are so terrible. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Jerry, George, and Kramer head to the coffee shop and bump into Elaine as she is meeting up with Kevin, Gene, and Feldman. Kevin and his friends are kind, considerate, and very polite, as opposed to the selfish and obnoxious attitudes of Jerry, George, and Kramer, prompting Elaine to stay with her bizarro friends. Kevin invites her over, where she meets Vargas, the bizarro Newman, with whom Kevin is friendly. However, her new friends ultimately reject her when they do not take to her disruptive behavior, which Jerry tolerates. This prompts a saddened Elaine to take her leave. I think that the standoff in the street between the two groups is one of the iconic moments as well. Especially with George trying to join. (laughs) Yeah, George (laughs) wanting to come along as well. (laughs) Which, of course, is perfect for George. Kevin's apartment was modeled to be a bizarro opposite of Jerry's apartment with the kitchen and furniture in reverse of Jerry's. Multiple locks on the door. Much of Kevin's belongings are the opposite of Jerry's, such as healthy food instead of Jerry's boxes of cereal, a unicycle hanging on his wall instead of a bicycle like Jerry, and a bizarro statue in place of Jerry's normal Superman statue. The set designers were unable to locate a bizarro model in time for filming, so they purchased a Superman figurine instead and repainted it to resemble Bizarro. In addition, the exterior of Kevin's apartment is a mirror image of Jerry's apartment, and the usual musical cues of the show and end credits are played backwards. George, now without Manhans' picture, tries to use a different picture of a model that he's taken from a magazine to get (laughs) back into the club, but he accidentally approaches the very model from that photo and is subsequently kicked out which is funny for the episode that it is the same girl, but also it's so clearly something that he cut out of a magazine. Yeah, it's way too big. (laughs) Later, George tries taking Jerry to that location of the club, but all they find is a meatpacking plant with the photo George clipped from a magazine lying unnoticed on the floor. In a mid-credits scene... Kevin's friends console him over the loss of Elaine. The three gather into a group hug, and Kevin declares, Me so happy, me want to cry, imitating Bizarro Superman's distinctive speech pattern. 
Yeah, not sure how well that joke hit for everyone watching, but yeah, that was for Jerry yep. probably. Although the audience may have skewed older back then, more people probably knew. Yeah, that's true. At that time, yeah. than they would know now. But yeah, a few of those episodes, while not necessarily ones that immediately would be in my top five, yeah, were a few that are routinely in the top ten lists well, that you see out and there. And ones that you see clips from. Of course, Manhands may be the one, any TV spot that's ever been run for Seinfeld. She had Manhands. That's like in every one of those. But also the George clip of, was that wrong? <laughs> That's one of the most famous scenes yeah. from the show, for sure, and still constantly gets used. Yeah. In fact, I would say that before the Tim Robinson hot dog sketch that you could have used, the George was that wrong thing right. as a meme to go with celebrities or public figures or public events or different things of that nature where it could fit in. And Totally. Yeah. I think what stands out to me, though, is how many of these we've done now, and it's unbelievable how many iconic episodes there are that we're this deep into doing episodes and we're still just sort of casually coming upon them yeah we have a few more of these planned right now for sure with the episodes already picked out however if you're a big fan of Seinfeld and there's a specific episode that you'd like for us to add into our plans feel free to email the show greatestpod at gmail.com I'm not making any promises but I love pretty much every episode of Seinfeld. So if someone said, hey, what about this one? I would probably say, yeah, that's great. We'll yeah. add it. It's, there's really none other than maybe the one with the dog. <laughs> Somebody who was about to write in just pulled it back. That's definitely one I've seen yeah. multiple times that people say they don't like. And I don't like it either because the dog is too loud and it's annoying mm-hmm. and you don't see it. I think you know what I mean. Yeah. It's an unpleasant episode to watch. Agreed. But aside from that, Basically, any of them you know, are pro- potentially on the table. So if you like Seinfeld and you're listening to these and there's one we haven't done, feel free. Follow us on X at Greatest Pod. Slide into the DMs. Hit us up there. GreatestPod at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you're finding us. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to those of you who already have done that. And if you'd like a sticker or have any questions, comments, concerns, please reach out. Twitter, email, wherever. We'd love to read your emails on the show, anything like that. And as far as listener requests go, right now we think we have one slot available, maybe two, but $100 is the price. So if you have any questions or any interest in that, reach out and we'll We'll walk you through it. Anyway, yes, We are probably going to continue at this more leisurely pace for the time being, but don't worry. Your listener requests are still going to be done in the month that they were promised, if not even earlier, so whatever there. But yeah, I don't know that it's always going to be every week or the same amount of days between episodes, but I think we'll still sometimes hit up these give us a seconds and extra stuff as well, and then there'll probably still be some busier months where we do go crazy again. I think so. But yeah, anyway, we got two listener requests coming up in January, so be on the lookout for that. And anything else to do with Seinfeld? No, good on Seinfeld. All right, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
know my name, do you? Yes, I do. What is it? It, it rhymes with a female body part. What is it? Mulva? Uh, uh, Gipple?